Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Protesters torching a Minneapolis police precinct while thousands took to the streets demanding justice for George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man who died in police custody. I think what we saw here in the Twin Cities last night and yesterday and, and really all this week between just the mayhem, the melee, the chaos, standoff with police officers, there was just this sense that, that the city was being overrun and was definitely scary for a lot of people. This several block area that Morgan and I are in right now is out of control. It is not we were seeing a demonstration in downtown that had been largely peaceful, but quickly grew violent. I, I was following the procession and, and there was a group that sort of splintered off at one point, but then a series of police cruisers uh, swooped in and started pepper spraying the crowd to try to disperse them. And that's when things really started going um, a different direction. We may have gas canisters now. The police are deploying something. All right, there's milk being spread around. So that is tear gas. I'm just going to stick this on. Minneapolis police decided at some point to abandon uh, the third precinct. They decided it was no longer safe uh, for, for the officers who were working there. There is now a person who, excuse me, sir, there is now a person who is going and trying to get physically into the third precinct there at the bottom. It was overrun. Uh, people set a fire, and that's when the rest of the city started really going up in flames as well as, as that started spreading. Here, there are fires burning to the left of it at the uh, wine and liquor store. Uh, on Communities burned down to the ground um, and, and deprived of resources like grocery stores, pharmacies, auto parts stores, and things like that in communities that already struggled to attract economic development. But a local auto zone also was looted and then set on fire, and auto zone was not alone, Neil. There were I got a text message from the station manager of a Spanish radio station here who, who said the, the building their station is in completely burned to the ground, and it's a historic building that had been a pillar in, in the community there. I'm going to be driving around town today just sort of take a closer look at all the damage. But I was down in the Longfellow neighborhood where, where the third precinct burned down, and I can't recognize it. The destruction, the devastation is just really widespread. And so it, in parts of the city, it's going to take a long time to rebuild, I think. Ricardo Lopez, you're a senior reporter at the Minnesota Reformer. These protests were sparked after a police officer in Minneapolis killed George Floyd, an unarmed black man. Why were the police called in the first place? George Floyd was detained Monday night in South Minneapolis um, over a call of forgery. This is the cell phone video from America's heartland that's inflaming passions across the country. It shows. A and so four officers had arrested him and placed it in handcuffs, but... The officer kneeled on his neck and kept his knee there for, for several minutes. 
even after Floyd repeatedly said he couldn't breathe. You know, this was all happening with multiple witness bystanders who, who were pleading with the police to, to let him up, to let him go, because he was struggling to breathe on the ground and, and saying as much. He's not even resisting arrest right now, bro. His nose is bleeding. You fucking stopping, he's breathing right now, bro. You think that's cool? That, I think, is what outraged a lot of people, this idea that you could have a man pleading for his life in the middle of daylight of a busy street and have multiple witnesses pleading for them to, to let him go. That, that really outraged people. Before the protests last night, what was the reaction to this killing, this tactic of a cop putting his knee on Floyd's neck? I think what is very interesting about this case is just the widespread and universal condemnation about the tactic shown there. I think police chiefs in cities all over the country have, have already weighed in and, and told even their officers that what they saw on video was, was entirely wrong. I think I thought of what every good, hardworking police officer, quite frankly, thinks, and I was appalled. As leaders uh, in law enforcement, when, when we see something that we know in our hearts is wrong, uh, we can't remain silent. And have any of the officers been arrested yet or charged? As of just a few minutes ago, um, getting getting uh, notifications that Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who was the one shown in the video uh, kneeling on George Floyd's neck, has been taken into custody by, by the State uh, Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. Good afternoon. I'm Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman. I'm here to announce that former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been charged with third-degree murder. We are in the process of continuing to review the evidence. There may be subsequent charges later. And what about the other officers who were there when George Floyd was killed and didn't do anything to stop it? Um, we're still waiting to hear what, what charges they might face. Um, you know, they've obviously been fired from their jobs um, a few years ago. Uh, Minneapolis police uh, enacted a reform that called for any officer who was witnessing a fellow officer using excessive force to intervene. And if not, they are just as culpable because Minneapolis police have said this week that all officers are expected to take a leadership role. And so they should intervene when they're seeing fellow officers um, use excessive force. And obviously, this isn't the only time an unarmed black man has been killed by a police officer in the Twin Cities. How does this fit into the bigger picture in Minnesota? Well, I think, you know, we can remember sort of the bigger um, situations that have happened here in Minneapolis in recent years, you know, going back to Jamar Clark and Philando Castile. And a lot of these underlying inequalities and equities have continued unaddressed in Minnesota for, for years and years. And obviously, this is a place that sees some of the, the widest gaps in income, in household education, in household wealth, in home ownership, in car ownership, in health, in education. I mean, name any area, and and Minnesota has one of the worst racial disparities. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a state that is is very largely white, and and it's a very nice place to live if you're not Black, and that's the reality. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a person of color here in the state, and I you know, have, have faced a number of, you know, incidents that I, that I know are related to my race. But it's hard to escape the reality that in Minnesota, you know, your quality of life is very different if you're not white. Has the president weighed in at all? So President Trump tweeted something that was immediately received as very inflammatory mm-hmm. um, by, by people who, who especially his, his language around when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And so, you know, the president's tweet last night did did little to to calm tensions here. I, I think in history, we've always looked to the leadership of the United States president to help um, quell 
unrest and and help try to heal the country. But I think that the tweet was was very poorly received. Um, it took a dig at Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry. What was the other tweet? Uh, there was a, an earlier one uh, calling you a radical leftist and a weak mayor. Um, which prompted a, a, a press conference by by the mayor who stood by himself as as he pushed back on Donald Trump's tweet. Weakness is refusing to take responsibility for your own actions. Weakness is pointing your finger at somebody else during a time of crisis. Donald Trump knows nothing about the strength of Minneapolis. We are strong as hell. Is this a difficult time period? Yes, but you better be damn sure that we're going to get through this. Like I said, he stood alone and, and looked pretty visibly tired. And I think this morning you saw with the governor's address today, you know, essentially say the state is now the lead element in keeping the city safe and the state safe. To ensure that tonight our buildings do not burn, our citizens are secure, and that space that we're going to create allows us to get back to the conversation of serving justice and making sure that we're not adding to that list of unheard names. This is very uncharted territory for Minnesota. The idea that an entire police station would burn down to the ground is just something that had been until last night unbelievable, un- inconceivable even. But the state has a task force that has issued a number of recommendations around how to improve policing. So I think that, unfortunately, the death of George Floyd is going to provide a big, big reason why lawmakers should take a good hard look at these task force recommendations and go about implementing them. I think people are hopeful for long-term change, what that looks like. It's too hard to say at this point. Up next, how Minneapolis has tried and struggled to reform its police department. I'm Noam Hassenfeld, filling in for Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Simone Weichselbaum, you wrote an article for the Marshall Project about how the Minneapolis Police Department has struggled to implement reforms well before George Floyd was killed. What reforms have they tried? So I remember the days when Minneapolis was considered 
an example of liberal police reform. They had a police chief who was a woman who was openly gay, very into working with academics on police reform, and also invited DOJ to come in when she uh, took over. Then in 2015, DOJ found uh, that there were ways to improve, especially with the police accountability. One was fixing their internal tracking system, which flags bad cops. And second was fixing something they call coaching, which seems pretty unique. Instead of disciplining all their officers with a long history of complaints, they send them to classes on police policy called coaching. What do we know about how effective that early warning system was? Did the police officer who killed George Floyd ever have a warning against him? We don't know if he was ever flagged by the system. We do know that he had a long history of complaints. There were at least 12 that I found on a city database that tracks police complaints. But we don't know if he was ever um, disciplined or coached for it, so to speak. I did speak to police accountability experts who worked with the city on implementing the recommendations from DOJ, and they told me that that has been stalled. And a lot of pushback from the police advocacy community to start making those changes. And because of sort of the switch in leadership, they have a new police chief who was there during the former person's tenure. But those changes have not really been rolling out. If these reforms aren't exactly working, are there better ideas out there? I think it comes to culture, and it's something that police departments are working. How do we change culture? So de-escalation classes is something that comes up a lot. Washington State recently implemented rules that all cops in Washington State now have to do de-escalation training every year. It's not just the policy. It's like, how do you change the hearts and minds? Another thing cops and departments have been doing is trying to change who they hire. So instead of hiring like this cop in the Floyd case is an older white male who one could argue is a cop's cop. You have departments saying, no, we want to hire bilingual people, people with tattoos, young people, people with graduate degrees. So there is this push in policing to say, we're going to stop hiring these sort of hyper-masculine guys, and let's focus on hiring people that better represent our community. But that takes years and years to force change like that. Yeah, and I guess, you know, reforms need to be put in place, but also holding people accountable, right? I mean, this report from Minneapolis from 2015 that you're talking about did put in this warning system, and then there's just no way to know if it's working. I mean, do we know if something like this is working anywhere around the country? So there is a lot of work being done on, like, how do we hold them accountable? But cops, police departments are notorious for not being transparent. So someone like myself and other journalists, accountability experts, we don't really know what goes into these tracking systems. Number two, they're not uniform. Like one city may track one thing, another city may track another. And number three, if you're flagged, the outcome also varies from department to department. So the issue with policing in this country has always been we're not a monolith. There's no one clear rule. There's no one clear best practice. So one city could be working and across the line, it's failing. You know, you're saying that it's not a monolith, yet we do have the Department of Justice. Is the Department of Justice doing anything? Could, Could it do anything? There's this idea by the public that when you have DOJ come in, they're going to save the day. Uh, I've written a lot about DOJ and reform. DOJ, their um, police wing, if you will, who works on reform of police departments, it's a very small group of people who work in the Civil Rights Division. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a big team. And it takes a lot of work to force a local police department to change. So just because you call in DOJ and just because they order reforms— doesn't mean they have the resources to force the police department to keep working on those reforms. So I keep, it frustrates me when people say, let's call in DOJ. No, city and state officials need to work on this issue. Stop outsourcing it to Washington. It's not working. 
So if the Department of Justice can't solve this, who can? Well, as we pointed out in the story, my colleague um, talked to uh, Philando Castile's mother. And as he pointed out in his reporting, the cop who shot Philando Castile did go through the court system. And juries let him go. Right? He was prosecuted. But so, but so what? So that's another problem, is that even if you have buy-in from prosecutors, and they're like, yes, we're going to indict this guy. What this guy did was screwed up. You know, let's get him, let's get him convicted. You have to have a group of citizens agree with that. And we've written about juries and bias. Do they believe the cop? Do they don't believe the cop? I was surprised that Philando Castile, the officer who took his life, got off. I thought it was pretty clear cut what that guy did was wrong. So, like, what is justice in this sense? Would justice be more police reform, which we don't know will work? Will justice be if this cop is indicted and is charged? Is justice that they figure out a fair group of jurors to come in and decide whether or not this person should go to prison? And that's what we need to think about. Okay, so the DOJ can't solve it and police departments can't solve it because they can't control juries. It sounds like it's almost an impossible problem. Right. And another point um, to my colleague, Jamiles, wrote, he spoke to Keith Ellison, who's the attorney general of um, the state of uh, Minnesota. And he actually was working on police reform and pushing legislatures to vote, to start making uniform laws across that state for de-escalation, use of force training, and other measures. And he couldn't get the legislation passed. So that's another problem. Like, this is so complicated, right? Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, Minneapolis this is a great example. They had police reform. They have a new attorney general, Keith Ellison, a big player in the Democratic Party. Come in. I want to make changes to the state. I'm the new attorney general. And state lawmakers are like, screw you. It's a white state. It's 85% white. So the people voting to make those changes also have to buy in. And they didn't do anything yet. There's just so many elements. And, you know, I am a policing nerd. I've been writing about this for a long time. So I understand it. But I think most people don't understand it. It's so hard to change. And yes, burning down the city is waking people up. But will that force policing to change? I mean, we burned down cities in 1968, right? After MLK was assassinated. And policing is still pretty screwed up. So I don't know. <laughs> 